Welcome to the St. Richard's Episcopal Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Rev. Cameron Nations. For more information, please visit strichards.org. So by now, I've been here long enough to where you've probably started to catch on to some of my, like, kind of preaching habits, my preaching conventions. Every, every preacher has them. Every priest has them. The joke is that uh, any preacher really only has one to three sermons. They just repurpose those each week. And I've now been here long enough, you probably started to catch on. But one of the things that I often say at the beginning of each sermon is, today we heard one of my favorite passages of Scripture. <laughs> I say that all the time. And I, I mean, there are so many good ones, right? So I, I do have a lot of favorites, okay? And today we did hear one of my favorites, but... We also heard one of the pieces pieces of scripture that I preach on and quote from most often, even when it doesn't appear anywhere in the lectionary. In fact, I have referred to it so often that I felt like I'd already preached on it, but it does appear in today's lectionary, so I thought, you know what, I'm actually going to preach a sermon on it on the day that we've read it. And that is Paul's uh, passage to the Corinthians about the body of, or the church rather, being as a body, right? And and specifically, the body of Christ. And he uses this image of a body to describe how we are all interrelated with one another. Now, I talk about this and refer to it all the time. I refer to it in sermons, I refer to it in classes that I teach because it is incredibly foundational to how I see what we are about here in this place. But I also think, absent what I think about, It's just incredibly foundational to the way that we think and understand the church, the way we think about and understand the church we get from Paul here. I also think it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, image because it holds up, right? It holds up. It's striking because I don't have to do any kind of contextual Uh, stuff. I don't have to do some deep dive to some obscure practice in the first century for us to understand what Paul's saying here. It it just, it translates. It's as fresh today and as understandable today as it was when Paul wrote it all those centuries ago. And so I want to actually preach on it today. I want to preach about this idea that we are the body of Christ And not just that we are different members of the same body, but also that this image that Paul gives us also gives us an ethic in which we are to take with us outside of these walls. So it talks about how we behave in here, but as you know, one of the other (laughs) conventions of preaching that I have, or one of the sermons I preach all the time, is that what we do in here is meant to impact our life out there, right? I, I preach on that a lot, and I think we see this here in Paul. So if you're upset about that being my one sermon, it's really Paul, okay? We're just going to blame the Apostle Paul. Okay. So, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about um, the way that this image points us, I think, to the way of Jesus, and it points us to a grace-filled, gospel-filled way that we are not just to treat one another in here, but a way in which we're supposed to live in the world. Now, by way of doing this, though, I want to uh, tell a, a story. So I, um, back in seminary years ago, I had to do something that's a rite of passage for all seminarians um, of just about, I think, every sort of persuasion. Every seminarian has to do this thing called CPE, 
okay? Clinical pastoral education. We have a seminarian in the room with us, and I saw his head start nodding immediately. Okay, yes, yes, clinical pastoral uh, um, education. Now, here's the thing. CPE, I don't want to disparage it too much because it does have its place, but I'm just going to tell you it is a racket, okay? <laughs> CPE is an absolute racket because you as the seminarian actually pay someone money to do work, okay? It's like the opposite of what an actual job should be, right? So, so you pay money to go do work, and oftentimes uh, what you are doing is um, a hospital chaplaincy or something like that. It's basically an internship, okay? CPE is basically a, a chaplaincy internship that you do over a summer. Most of them happen in uh, hospitals because there are a lot of chaplaincies in hospitals, um, but not all of them, not all of them, okay? And you do, you pay money to do this, when, at the point in your life where you probably have less money than you've ever had before because you're in seminary and you have to somehow take a whole summer to make no money, it, it's, like I said, it's a racket. Not that I'm bitter or anything like that, okay? <laughs> but, but I was determined as a seminarian, I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to be in a hospital room all the time as a priest, right? Like, that's just something I'm going to do a lot of. So if I'm going to do uh, a chaplaincy, I'd like to do something that I probably wouldn't do ever again, you know, like kind of get some sort of different chaplaincy experience. And so I was trying, I was like on the hunt, trying to find a non-traditional CPE program, which is not easy. But the Lord is good. And one came to me, okay? A, a non-traditional CPE program came to me. A, um, a good friend and fellow uh, priest of mine named Donna Moat, I uh, was a priest in the Diocese of Atlanta, and she called me one day and said, uh, okay, Cameron, I know you've still got to do your CPE. Um, and I uh, want to tell you about a cool thing that just happened to me, and I'm trying to turn it into a CPE program. Now, she doesn't do any of this anymore. She's now the rector of a parish in Key West, which, you know, okay. I guess everybody needs the Lord, but, you know, anyway, okay. But Donna, amazing, amazing person, amazing priest. And Donna calls me and, and Donna says, I've just been hired by the Bishop of Atlanta to be on his staff and serve as the chaplain at Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport. Because here in the Diocese of Atlanta, we have the world's busiest airport, right? And so the bishop felt like we needed a presence in the world's busiest airport. Um, and sure enough, right? I mean, Hartsfield-Jackson, prior to the pandemic, there were almost 60,000 employees tied to the airport. That's like its own town, right? Um, over 100 million people would pass through in a given year. It's just mind-boggling, right? Mind-boggling. So anyway, so she calls me and says, I'm about, I've been doing this, this job as a chaplain, and I would love to do it as a CPE program. So I said, count me in. This sounds really interesting. So for a summer, I served as a chaplain at Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport with two of my seminary classmates. We did it, and it was an incredible experience. Um, superficially, it was incredible because our little badges, we had security clearance to go anywhere. So I could, like, buzz myself out onto the tarmac. That was pretty cool. I'll never be able to do that again, okay? Um, and if I just looked official, I could just go anywhere. I'd just zip onto the thing, and I'd go through. Anyway, um, but it was an amazing experience because, I mean, with 60,000 employees, we did all sorts of stuff. We did funerals for um, employees that passed away on the job, or um, we did a lot of pastoral care for some of the workers because you've got this huge gap in income, right? You have people who would actually sleep on the MARTA because they were homeless. They had a job, full-time job at the airport, like picking up trash or whatever, but they didn't have enough to live on. 
and then you'd have uh, an executive who owned a bunch of airport restaurants. Let me tell you, if you want a, a lucrative captive audience, own an airport restaurant, okay? Um, and you had them all working in the same building every day and their needs were very different. And um, We did a lot of honor guards, actually, for fallen service members because Delta holds the contract for transport of military remains. And that was a big part of what we did was being with families as they received their loved one uh, on the tarmac. That was a huge part of our ministry there. It was really in, uh, incredible. But another thing that we did, though, was we would get called in uh, to try... <laughs> as best we could, to uh, negotiate tense situations, okay? Because what would happen, right, is you'd have a passenger who's trying to get somewhere. Let's say grandma died, and they've got to get there for the funeral. And they had a, con I mean, we all have connections in Atlanta, right? The joke is on your way to ha heaven, you've got to stop through Atlanta before you <laughs> get there, right? So something would go wrong, and they, they would be stuck, and they'd be frustrated because they were going to miss this funeral if they didn't get on a plane. And so they go to somebody that they think should be able to help them, a gate agent or whatever, and they feel like, oh, this person is just not hearing me. And they get, you know, they get madder and madder and madder. And we would get called in to try to mediate some of these situations. Because as it turns out, the airport employee, that poor gate agent or whoever it is, they work for the airline, right? So they've got a script that they can work from, and that's about it. They can't really deviate from the script because that would be deviating from company policy and that could cost them their job. But the problem with going off of a script is that your script very rarely is in the interest of the person who has the problem, right? It's in the interest of the airline. And so um, it was just a, a hard situation. So we would get called as the chaplain because we didn't work for the airport. We didn't work for anybody, but except for God, I guess, you know? And so we would, we would get called in and, and try to work through this with these people. And it occurred to me in reflecting upon this after the fact that this is a lot of what we're called to do as, as Christians in a sense. And here's what I mean by that. So here is this place, right? Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport. Giant operation. A place whose sole purpose for existence is to move people, right? And by all accounts, it's pretty successful at it if so many people can move through it in a given year, right? It exists for the transport of people. But in the process of optimizing itself for moving people around, an interesting thing happens where to create a system that's as effective as possible for moving people, it actually has to kind of dehumanize the people it's trying to move, right? People become numbers on the spreadsheet. Well, if you've got 100 million people going through, and a few of them just happen to miss grandma's funeral and are devastated about it, that's unfortunate, but that's just how it works, right? That's just business. That's just what we have to do. It's the bottom line. It's cost-benefit analysis. It's all of those things, right? And so much of our world is like this. And so much of our world is like this. We're all human beings, and the world should be optimized for human flourishing, but we all know it's not, right? We all know that it's not. If you've ever tried to call your insurance company to dispute something, we all know this, right? You know, Something that exists to help people ends up not helping people at scale, right? As you start to broaden it, you as an individual and your worth get subsumed, again, under the cost-benefit analysis that says, well, some people may be irritated, but we just have to do this, right? We just have to do it the way we do it. 
But what I realized about my time as a chaplain at the airport is what we were called in to do in those moments wasn't just to mediate a dispute, it was to bring humanity back to an inhuman situation or a dehumanizing situation. It was my role in that moment to see the person in distress as a person, to actually hear their story. I mean, I know the gate agent was hearing it, and I know that the gate agent was sad, and they were moved, and they wished they could do something about it. But when the system is dehumanizing, even the gate agent can't really help, right? You know, we're just all caught in this. But I think it's part of our call as Christians to bring that humanity back in to the world. Because that's the picture that we see here that Paul's painting. So what, is, what does that story have to do with this? Well, in Paul's example, right, that some are, you know, some are hands, some are eyes, some are ears, and all are necessary uh, to the whole, he says this. He says that the eye can't say to the hand, what? I have no need of you. I have no need of you. That's not a thing that we can say as Christians. Here in the church, we can't say, I have no need of you, though out in the world, we might say that, right? We might encounter a situation where uh, some system or something says to us, well, we don't have need of you. You're too difficult, you're too hard to accommodate, etc., etc., and so therefore we have no need of you. But Paul's vision of the church, which is the right one, it is right. Paul's vision of the church says, actually, that may happen out there, but that can't happen in here. That doesn't happen in here. We have no need of you can't be in the vocabulary of the church. We are a different kind of body, right? We are a different kind of body. Um, as I said, we see this in a lot of different places in our society where the cost-benefit analysis doesn't go in our favor. But in the cost-benefit analysis of heaven and the economy of God, Jesus deemed all of us worth it, right? cost-benefit analysis there was he was willing to die for us, and so we are all of infinite value and worth, and that is why we can't say to one of us here in this room, we have no need of you. We just can't do that. This is why I believe this is a big part of our vocation and calling as Christians. It is something that God calls us to and has been from the very beginning, even before Paul's writing this. Uh, you see this in the commandments uh, to show hospitality to strangers, for instance, that appear in the law, or, or to the repeated calls in the Gospels to love one another, even your enemies. Our call as God's people is to push against this kind of dehumanizing tendency that happens so often in our world. Now, I could keep going on this uh, for quite some time. Uh, because I do think it is incredibly important. It's why I refer to this passage so often. I also wish that this passage had appeared next week because this is a perfect tee-up for uh, annual meeting, okay? But I didn't get to choose <laughs> that it came this week. But I will just say that, friends, it is my ardent and sincere hope that this church can live up to the ideal that Paul uh, professes here in Corinthians that we can be a place where all are valued, where all have a place, where all are not merely incidental to our life, but integral to our life. So often when I preach and I refer to this passage, I do it uh, in talking about the gifts that we have to bring, right? That each of us has a gift, and that's true. Each and every one of you has a gift that you bring uh, that makes this church what it is, that makes the body of Christ what it is. Each of you has a gift. But it's not about what you bring. It's not about what you bring that earns you a spot here. 
You don't have to earn your spot. There is a place for you here regardless. And that's what Paul's saying. We cannot say, I have no need of you. And I can tell you right now that we do very much have need of you. Each and every one of you. I mean that. We have need of every single one of you. This vision presented in Paul's brilliant example of the church as a human body. I promise I'm wrapping this up. We're, we're landing this plane, okay? Oh, that was a good airport chaplain joke, actually. The vision presented in Paul's brilliant example of the church as a human body, as the body of Christ, no less, is one where all are of equal value, as I said. It is a vision that runs counter to the ways of our culture. It's a vision that runs counter to the ways often of our politics, the ways of our world, the way that we structure so much of what we do. But it does show us a better way. And I think it paints for us a picture of the way of Jesus. And what does Jesus say to his disciples? Follow me. So that's what I aim for us to do, and I hope that we do, and why I refer to this passage so much, and why I'll probably still preach on it at annual meeting. <laughs> because this is what our community should look like. One in which we say, well, we can't say we have no need of you. Because all are valued, all are welcomed, and all are loved just like God has loved us. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For service times or more information on St. Richard's, please visit strichards.org.